0: but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known.
1: Why don't you take a moment to get to know the person next to you while I get set up. I've got some uh, sample questions up there on the screen that you might like to ask each other. All righty. If I grab your attention again, please, that'd be fantastic. Uh, we could keep going all day, couldn't we? Those are some questions that could have actually have some really long answers. Now, I've got some questions for you in return. After you've just done that with each other, uh, would you say that you have come to know the person that you're sitting next to that you just talked to? A bit, not like crazy. Like you know, we've booked a holiday together now, and, and 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 we're going down south on the weekend. Um, but you would, right? Um, Second question for you uh, Would you say that you've come to know the person on the other side of you who you didn't talk to just then? (laughs) Don't worry, it's no mind psych, there was no like hidden expectation that you would do so. What do you think the difference was between those two people on either side of you in terms of getting to know them? I don't know whether you realize this, but the only reason that you know anything about anyone is because that person revealed it to you. For example, you have no idea who I am, do you? I mean, you can piece together some ideas, you know, well, he's wearing a, a Christian Union t-shirt, so he must be part of the Christian Union, that or he's knocked off a shirt. Um, he, he's got a wedding ring, so, so maybe he's married, or even then maybe, maybe I'm just you know, wearing this for style, he, he's got a watch on. <laughs> Um, It's it's an analogue watch, so he must be able to read analogue time, but again, I could just be making a fashion statement. You can try and piece together some things from what you observe about the people around you, but you can't really tell, can you? Am I a guest speaker? Am I a student? Well, I'm not wearing a mullet, so maybe we can kind of put that one off to the side. Am I trustworthy? Am I worth listening to? These are the things, someone's shaking their head up there. (laughs) Buddy, you know better. (laughs) The simple fact of the matter is that you cannot know anything about me unless I tell you. Now, in case you're wondering, I do have a reason to be here. Uh, My name is Matt. I lead the staff team here that works with the UWA Christian Union. I am married, it's not a fashion statement. Uh, I have two kids, I've got a third on the way. I can read analogue time, although it does take me uh, a considerable amount of time to do so. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, I am trustworthy, contrary to the opinion of certain somebody over here in, in, in the audience. But But understanding this principle of how we come to know anything, especially people, it's really important. It's really important for our relationships with each other The only reason you know your mum's maiden name is because she's told you. The only reason you know where your dad went to school is because he's told you. But it's also important for our relationship with God. Because when it comes to personal knowledge, what is true for us as human beings, it's also true for God as well. So, for example, how do you know that God exists? What's he like? Can you tell me? I mean, you might go down the philosophy track at this point, and lots of people do, it's not a bad track to go down, and you could kind of say, that, oh, there's some actual really good philosophical reasons to believe in the existence of God, and to which I would say, great, but but can you tell me about him? Maybe you could tell me a few things. I mean, he's obviously powerful, he's created a world with with complexity, like your DNA all the way through to the planets, he obviously has a sense of beauty, he's made flowers, he has a sense of humour, he made giraffes. But even then, they are best guesses. And some very smart people at this university would disagree with all of them. And so how do we know? How do we know that God exists? How do we know what he's like? Well, the only way that we can know anything about God with certainty, whether he exists, what he's like, how we relate to him, is if he tells us. Now, this year in the Bible talks, we are starting in the Gospel of John. We've just read the first 18 verses of it. It's a book in the Bible. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. The Bible's divided into two parts, the old and the new. All of them relevant, but one's a bit older than the other. And at the very beginning of the New Testament, we have four books called Gospels. They're kind of like biographies, uh, historical accounts of a person called Jesus. John's Gospel is the fourth Gospel. Uh, And in that Gospel, his story, his account, his central contention is that God has revealed himself to the world. We don't have to worry about answering those questions because they have been answered for us because God has spoken. And he's revealed himself to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Now That's true, that contention of all four of the Gospels, but it's particularly prominent in John's Gospel, and that's the one that we'll be looking at this semester. Now, there's a few things to understand about John's Gospel uh, before we jump in. And the first is that it has a prologue. You know, you kind of read a book and you kind of have a a prologue and this happened five years earlier or, or whatever happens and that sort of thing. John has one of those. Um, none the other Gospels really have one of, of this nature. And usually when you have a prologue in the book, really helpful, right? Because it's, it's sort of like it gives you all the information that you need to kind of get going. Like, you know, if you imagine like movie, movie style, like Star Wars, you know how it has that really annoying, weird, old school yellow script that used to be cool in the 80s, but now you're just like, why do they keep doing that? That kind of tells you some weird things that you sort of need to know to make sense of what follows. And that's what John is doing here. But instead of being helpful, it's actually really confusing, Because as you would have heard Perry read it just before, and it was a wonderful reading, it's dense. It's heavy with metaphors. It's not even in chronological order. And so it's sort of like eating a rich mud cake instead of a slice of bread full of air. Like you you want to eat it, it looks amazing, but you're not quite sure what's going to happen once you get to the end of it. Uh, And so as we come to the prologue, we need to remember why it's here then. Uh, Because John provides it for us as a summary of what's to come. He introduces us to virtually every theme, every metaphor, every concept that he's going to introduce us to over the next 21 chapters of his book. And he's going to introduce us to the main drama of the gospel. He's going to tell us the key players, the key themes. He's going to frame our understanding of what's happening, uh, of of what uh, is going to come and how we're to understand it. And in doing so, he's not just describing his gospel, he's describing our world. He gives us a framework of reality how to make sense of life, uh, tells us what's important, what to do with our lives, the decisions that matter, the decisions that we're to make. Uh, And so that's what we're gonna do today. We're going to try as much as we can in the space that we have to consume this mud cake of a prologue and try and make sense of what it is that John wants to tell us, not just today in this passage, but throughout the semester as we work through the various chapters that he's written in his book. Now, because the summary is so dense, this prologue, in order to even begin to understand it, I've had to make a summary of it. And so here's my summary of John's summary of John's Gospel. John's Gospel is an eyewitness account of how the Son of God was sent into his world to become the Jesus of history so that God might be perfectly and completely revealed to us. Now, I've modified that slightly from a guy called Don Carson, much smarter than me, but that's the general gist of what John is going on about, both in this passage and in his book. Uh, And to see the magnitude, the significance, the depth and the richness of that, well, then we need to actually read it, don't we? And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to work through the passage and we're going to use three key images that John uses to help structure the way that we work through it. And he tells us these things. He tells us first that the Word creates the world. He then says that the light enters the world and then finally he tells us about the son who reveals the father to the world and if you've got an outline as you came in they'll be there on your outline you can take notes if you want so let's start with that first one let's start with the word now john he begins his gospel here by saying in the beginning and before we read any further that should really make us kind of stop and start asking questions because where else have we heard that phrase in the beginning at the beginning of a book Genesis, that's exactly right. Those of you who've been reading your Bibles or have you know had a Bible and had the privilege of growing up in a household that has one, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is an account of how the world came to be. And so as we hit John chapter 1, we're expecting to him to finish the sentence that way, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But look at what John says here. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning and I want to say that's unexpected in fact that is slightly controversial because as we'll see in a little while these are not the sort of things that you would expect a bible-believing Jew to say and John was an old testament bible-believing Jew he's not trying to provide here an alternate account of creation You know, kind of coming in and saying, well, guys, we did think this for 2,000 years, but I've actually, I I had this vision in a cave, and now I know, let me tell you what it's really about. He's actually coming along and providing a complementary account to the first one. And he wants us to understand how his account fits in with what we've already seen in the Old Testament. But to do that, we need to compare the pair. So I have here up on the screen um, the two accounts. And you're going to, with the person that you met before, you're going to get to know each other more as you study the Bible. I want you to answer the question at the top of the slide there. What is John affirming and what is John adding in his account of the beginning? So I'll give you about a minute with the person next to you to kind of chew on those two passages and have a, have a think about that, that question. All righty, I'm going to bring you back in now. Um, Some some good chat. You probably wouldn't have finished the the exercise, but that's completely fine. Uh, Let's start with what John is affirming. Um, Any thoughts or reflections? What what is John actually saying now Genesis 1 got right? What, What are the similarities we see in the past? You want to shout some of them out? God created everything. God created everything. Thank you very much, sir. Fantastic. That's a really key one. Some other things that we saw in there?
0: God was in the
1: beginning. God was in the beginning, yep, absolutely. In God there's life, that's right. And we even see too, that there's this light theme going on as well, which that John connects. Anything else? I think there's one other key thing: God creates everything by His word. Okay? So that's what he affirms. What does John add in his account of the beginning? Yeah, so he introduces another player. Now, you know, spoilers, it is Jesus, but that's not how John starts. And that's interesting to me. Like, I'm expecting him to kind of drop the J word and then then we kind of move on. But he starts with another word, the word. He introduces another player. And this is controversial. In fact, this is borderline heresy. In fact, it probably is heresy because what do we know about the world? It was something that was said earlier just then. God and God alone is the creator of the world. He creates everything. And so what John is doing here is either something incredibly ungodly or incredibly revolutionary because he's taking what is established orthodox belief and he's extending it and modifying it and and filling it in. Now, he's not contradicting it. He's a Bible-believing Jew. He, He firmly believes in the divine inspiration of the Old Testament. But he is making us aware of something that Genesis does not tell us. God made the world, but when he did it, he wasn't alone. The word was with him. So, who or what is this word? Well, John has a lot to say to us in a very short space of time. So, let's have a look at the first couple of verses of chapter one. First of all, John tells us about the word's pre existence. Uh, We see it there right at the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word existed before creation. Uh, it's not that he was the first creation, like Jehovah's Witnesses believe, that he's just been around from the very start, first cab off the rank, and then he got to kind of see everything else. And we know that because of verse 3, all things were made through him. You see, the Bible has a two-category system for all things in existence. It's really simple. You're either the creator or you're created. And what John says here is the word is emphatically in the category of creator. Creator. And so in the same way that God in Genesis 1 has been there from eternity past, before creation began, the Word was as well. So that's the first thing, the pre-existence. Second of all, John tells us about the Word's personality. He says there that the Word was with God. And when I say personality, I'm not kind of talking about, you know, a sense that he was easygoing and liked watching movies on a Saturday night. I'm talking personality in the sense of he was his own person. He was distinct from God, and yet in some way in relationship to him. So he was with God. Thirdly, and this is where John really starts to turn up the heat, he tells us about the words deity. The word was not just with God, the word was God. Now, a number of people uh, throughout the ages have tried to get around this by saying that the verse should actually be translated the word was divine, in the sense that he was like a divine being with God, in the beginning, sort of like you know, a second God, or maybe he was just another creature that was, well, not a creature, but something that wasn't created but wasn't God that kind of was flirting around with him. Uh, but the sense of the, the word uh, uh, is actually just straightforward. It, it's God. And as you continue to read through John's Gospel, you'll actually see that that's exactly what he means. And so John is saying that in some mysterious way, the word is both distinct from God and yet is God. Not two gods, but one God. But two distinct persons, both of whom can be legitimately called God. You with me so far? Head starting to spin, that's okay. John has thrown us in the deep end... And these are deep theological waters that we are swimming into. Because what John is alluding to here is the doctrine of the Trinity. Didn't think you'd raise that one on the first day of Christian Union, did you? But there you go. I didn't think John would raise that in his evangelistic gospel either. Hey, by the way, this thing happened. Jesus has come into the world. He was God. I want you to know about him. By the way, Trinity. It's like, okay, but John, maybe you should think about the order of your information. But he does this intentionally, I think. Uh, he is alluding to the Trinity, uh, but we don't want to get distracted at this point because he's not trying to kind of lay out this, this doctrinal framework so that we've got this textbook that we can kind of pull off off the shelf because he doesn't even mention the spirit here. His purpose is to introduce us to the Word and we can't understand the Word unless we understand his relationship to God. So he tells us about his deity. Fourth, John tells us about the words agency in creation. And we see it in verse 3. Through him all things were made. He's not contradicting Genesis 1 here. It's not as if the God mentioned in Genesis is sort of like absent. He created the heavens and the earth. That is firm. It's in Genesis we believe it. But what John tells us is that when he did that, he was doing it through his word. And this is one of the most significant things John adds to our picture of the beginning. Those words that we read about in Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, when he brought about the light and the darkness and the animals and the people and he separated the waters and and he created and formed the world, those words that God did it with, they weren't just verbs and nouns. They were a person who was God and yet was distinct from God, being used by God as the one through whom all things were created. And just so we're clear on this, John tells us that without him, nothing was made that has been made. So, it's not like he kind of was on the side, kind of subcontracted to the rivers and the mountains, but then, you know, God of Genesis kind of did the rest. The Word, God, distinct from God, made it all. And that's important because of the final and fifth thing that we have on this list here. We're told that the Word is the source of life. Uh, verse 4 In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. If we sit in that for a moment, that, that, that actually tells us a few things because that tells us that we are dependent on the Word for both our initial and continued existence because everything that was created includes you and me, right? It wasn't just kind of at the beginning, beginning, but everything that kind of moves forward through time and history, that's us. And if the Word is the one who created all things and gives life to all things, then the Word gives life to you. Your existence is entirely dependent on this thing that John has raised in chapter 1 called the Word. Now that's a lot to take in in just four verses, so let's kind of refresh and return to the big picture. This is what John is telling us. He's telling us that this is an eyewitness account of how the Son of God was sent into his world to become the Jesus of history so that God might be perfectly and completely revealed to us. You've got to ask the question, then, why is he spending so much time with this kind of tedious and detailed and mind-bending detail about something that's kind of going on before creation? Well, the reason he does it is so that we can more accurately understand Jesus when he enters into the world. Because, you see, for people uh, around the traps, most people in life will regard Jesus as somebody who is just a mere man of history. Some people even question that, whether he was even historical at all. But he's not just a mere man. He is, according to John, the word incarnate. And we see it there in verse 14 of our passage. The Word became flesh. And so we can actually add a sixth thing to our list. The Word became a man. He became a man by the name of Jesus. This is the doctrine of the incarnation now. And it's important that we saw the list before we got to six because now we understand that here is a man in history who has unique credentials to perfectly and completely reveal God to us. And this is all the more significant because of what happens next in the account of the Word. Because as we keep reading through the passage, the Word doesn't just create the world, he enters into the world that he creates. And it's here that we see John change metaphors. Instead of talking about the Word, he now starts to talk about the true light. You see that there in verse 9. But before that, he's even mentioned it. In verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And it's here that we get our first hint that not everything is all right with the world that the Word has made. You see, the Word made it, He made everything, He provided life for it, He provided life for everything. But the thing that we discover now is that that world is currently in darkness. And the darkness is not the physical darkness that we saw in Genesis 1. It's a spiritual darkness that we all inhabit. Now in the Bible, and especially in John's Gospel, darkness means to be ignorant of God. Uh, it's, it's it's not a neutral term. It's actually a willful ignorance, like a deliberate refusal to acknowledge or listen to God. And, and it's the thing, according to John, that lies at the heart of all sin and rebellion against God. And it's into this world of darkness that the light comes. And so the world might once come, uh, know God and, and have life again, because it's currently dark and apart from God and the knowledge of God. But rather than receive that word, the light, as it comes into the world that he made, he's resisted and denied and we see it there in verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him and that reference there his own it's referring specifically to the nation of israel god's own people that have kind of trailed through the whole of the old testament you see these were the ones that had the book of genesis they were the ones who had the account of the beginning, and so they had the framework. They were kind of geared, prepped, and ready over hundreds and hundreds of years to recognize and receive the word. And yet, regardless of whether you were in the people of Israel or the world more widely, nobody recognized him. And the thing to understand about all this is that he isn't like undercover boss. I don't know whether that's still around. Maybe I'm just kind of showing my age at this point, it's not just the mullet, it's my kind of um, illustrations here. But you know the CEO dressed up like a factory worker and he obscures everything about himself so they can't be recognized. That's not what this is. This is a spiritual blindness. This is a willful refusal to acknowledge the word for who he is. And it reaches even to the heart of God's own people. The word, if you will, kind of turns up. He's got CEO written on his shirt and he says, good morning, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's the word. I created you. Um, I own this place. I give give life to everything around the place. In fact, my picture's there up on the wall in the foyer of, of the building. And the world, you and me included, we kind of look up at the picture and we kind of go... Yeah, nah, that's not you. And that's a tragedy. That's a child refusing to recognise their own mother. I read that in a parenting book recently, actually. The dad was so absent that the dad arrived and the kid looked up at him and said, hello, are you one of mum's friends? I know. If you feel it, that's just the beginning of what's going on here when the creatures don't recognise the creator. Because the world is in darkness, and the light in love enters into that darkness to restore the light and give life to the world, the life that we lost through our rebellion against God. And instead of coming into that light, we walk away from it. And worse than that, we actually actively try to suppress it. And we know what history tells us we, humanity, crucified Jesus, we killed the author of life. It's a tragedy. And yet there is still some measure of hope, because have a look at verse 12. John tells us that even though he was rejected by the world, there were still some who did receive him, some who believed in His name, and as a result, they were adopted as children of God. And it's here that we see the purpose of the light coming into the world. You see, God is building a family. He is taking those who receive him and not just giving them life, but giving them a heritage. He adopts them as his own and they receive all the benefits that come from being a child of God. And it's at this point that we have a convenient segue into the third part of the prologue and the third image that John uses. We've seen the word, we've seen the light, and now we enter the realm of family and we're told about the son who reveals the father. Let's have a look at this last section. Let's start from verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He continues in verse 16. Out of that fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known now to understand what's going on here we need to understand some of the old testament background to what john is saying because remember the whole time we have been saying that john's gospel eyewitness account of how the son of god was sent into his world to become the jesus of history so that god might be perfectly and completely revealed to us and it's those two words in bold perfectly and completely that i wanted to highlight at this point because jesus is not the first time that god has revealed himself now, we read at the beginning of Hebrews that he revealed himself at various times and in various ways through the Old Testament prophets. And the most significant prophet was a man called Moses. You might know him from movies. He's actually originally from the Bible, would you believe? And he is the one to whom God spoke to as a friend face to face. Nobody else ever had that privilege. And he was the one to whom God gave his law, the first five books of the Bible, which was the definitive revelation of God. So in other words, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, the thing that John is riffing off here. And John's point here is not to undermine Moses. Remember, he's not trying to say he's wrong. What Moses revealed about God was true. But he's having a subtle dig there in verse 18 when he says that not even Moses has seen God. No one has. And if you know your Bibles, you'd go to Exodus chapter 33, because this is the closest Moses got. He asks God to see God's glory, and God says, okay, I'll do it. But you've got to go hide in that rock, and I'm going to walk past, and only after I've gone past are you allowed to look, and you can only see my back. And even then, it was sort of a manifestation of God rather than God himself. And what John is saying here is that where the the law and and Moses uh, were, were giving you truth, they were still insufficient and incomplete. They weren't enough. They weren't able to give you the full and perfect outline of who God is. But what Moses and the law couldn't, the son does perfectly and completely. How? Well, he's the son. He bears the family resemblance. I mentioned before that I'm about to have another kid. I've got two daughters. They're wonderful. But in April, I'm going to have a son. And for better or worse, he's going to look like me. (laughs) And when you see him you will see the father of him. And so when you see Jesus, you will see the father of Jesus. But not in the kind of like the weird family resemblance way where it's like, oh, yeah, you've got the same nose or whatever it is. When you look at Jesus the son, he doesn't just look like God. He is the exact representation and image of God. And so to see his glory is to see the glory of the father, the one who sent him. And that's the thing that John tells us he sees in verse 14. That's why it's important to be clear here that, you know, word, light, they're metaphors. But the Son, it's an actual description of who Jesus is. He is, verse 18, the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. And John's claim is that he has seen the glory of the Son and therefore he has come to know the Father. But what is this glory thing that he's talking about? It's our kind of final question before we wrap up today. Now, you know what glory is, right? But it's kind of hard to define. We've kind of got an intuitive sense of what it means. Like if we kind of have the phrase, his glory is his strength or her glory is her beauty. like We understand what we're talking about, right? Our glory is that thing that radiates radiates out from us that other people can't help but notice and then bask in. So whenever you watch the tennis and somebody wins a Grand Slam, what do they do? I've been wanting to do this forever and I'm never going to be able to do it on a tennis court. This is what they do. Are you basking in my glory? (laughs) I didn't win the match, did I? But that's what they do, and that's what you feel in the stadium. So what is it that radiates out of God? Well, two things, and we see it repeated, verse 14 and verse 17. His glory is full of grace and truth. And these are the things that we see in Jesus that reveal to us God. It's not his strength, it's not his beauty, though he is those things. It's his grace. It's the forgiveness that he extends to us for rejecting him. The welcome we receive when we turn from our darkness and enter into his light and he adopts us as children. It's his truth. Because there's no shadow or deception or misdirection in God. He is completely true and therefore completely trustworthy. These are the things that he is. These are the things that John sees and not just sees, they're the things that he experiences. He says in verse 16, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. This is not some intellectual fantasy. This has changed his life. And he says to us, There is nothing more desirable or important or all sufficient as knowing God through Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know that. And so the question he leaves us with today is this How do you know God? the glorious God full of grace and truth, the invisible God whom no one has ever seen? Well, he answers it by saying, you come to know him by getting to know Jesus. And the means that he provides to do that is in the pages of his gospel. He says, I've seen him, let me tell you about him. And as we read week to week and chapter to chapter, we learn more and more about Jesus. And we don't just see him more clearly, but we see the God who he reveals more clearly. And he invites you and he invites me and he invites us to read and consider and determine how we will respond to the light that's entered into the world? Will we turn our back on it and reject it like the world seems to have done? Or will we, like John, by the grace of God, instead of reject, receive him? And that's our invitation to you at the Christian Union today. We want to invite you to meet Jesus on campus. Uh, The Christian Union's mission uh, was up on the screen before. Here it is again. Uh, We are about proclaiming Jesus at UWA to present everyone mature in him. It's a bit of a mouthful. We took it from Colossians. What's it saying? We think that Jesus is at the centre of everything. He's the means by which we know God. He's the means by which the world is redeemed. He's the king who rules the world. And by telling people about him, we can mature them. Not just make them Christians but actually make them uh, kind of turn and live under the lordship of God and, and, and follow Jesus in such a way that when he returns to judge, we will be received as children to his family rather than criminals to be condemned. And that's true if you aren't a Christian yet. And that's true of you if you've been a Christian all of your life. As you continue to hear about Jesus and learn who he is and work out the shape and the contours of his face and all those sorts of things that we learn about him, we become closer and more mature to God and more established under his rule, prepared for his return. Now, how do we do that at the Christian Union? Well, there's a couple of ways that we do it. Kingsley's already mentioned a few the Bible talk and the small group. I want to tell you about the big three, those that are in it. Because the CU, it is a big place, you can kind of see it already. We do a lot of things like a lot of things. It's very confusing. We have service teams. We have a Vang team. We have stall, We have a whole bunch of conferences coming out of every, everywhere. And, and like there are people who are actually out there on the green telling people about Jesus at the moment rather than at the Bible Talk. So you can kind of come into this place and be really, really overwhelmed. But if this is your first time visiting us, this is the thing that we reckon that you can kind of take away from. If you want to join us, not just proclaiming Jesus, but learning about Jesus, meeting him on campus, then we recommend the big three. Come to the Bible Talk. Happens twice a week, it's the same talk. Come to the one that's convenient for you. And come along and just sit under the word with the rest of us as we hear it taught and explained. Uh, The second is the small group. Join a small group. This is where you get to ask your questions, you make friends, you wrestle with the Bible yourself, you learn to read it for yourself. And then the third one, this is like extended advertising, come to our mid year conference in July. That's the place where everything goes bananas. Everybody kind of turns up and we sit under the word for five days and it's just insane. You wouldn't think that, oh, five days Bible camp? I'm definitely not doing that. I'm going skiing. But it is amazing. So those are our three things we want to put on your agenda for you to think about. Uh, But other than that, um, that's us and me for the day. How about I pray for us and then we'll get Kingsley back up to close. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent the word into the world, that he became the Jesus of history. And that as we look upon his face, we see not only his glory, but your glory. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through him and enabling us to have a relationship with you. Because if you had not spoken, we could only ever guess at who you were and how we were to pay homage to you and and respond to you. We pray that as we read John's gospel and come to know the Jesus of his pages more and more week by week, you'll help us to come and know you more and more week by week that you'll bring about faith in us and a deep desire to live under your rule and please you all our days until you return to claim us as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.